Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Dope Black Dads podcast, a place where we are changing the narrative and having progressive conversations about black fathers, as well as creating a safe digital space for the community. This is the Dope Black Dad podcast. My name is Marvin Harrison. I'm joined on this wonderful, kind morning by an amazing group of men. Marvin, how are you doing? I'm happy to be humbled, um, yeah, you know, surrounded by such esteemed guests. But no, I'm good. I can't complain. I'm looking forward to the conversation today. It's nice to catch up. This is always a good way to start my week being surrounded by such such positive energy. So yeah, looking forward to today. What, what's been going on in your world, Marvin? I feel like, what, what do you do when these audio mics are not on? What do you get up to? What mischief? <laughs> do you know what? My son had his grading for jiu-jitsu over the weekend, which was really good. So he's gone up a belt in jiu-jitsu, which is it's a good thing, but then it means he's getting closer to being able to beat me up. So, you know, <laughs> I'm worrying about that in, in, in the background, but, you know, equipping him with the skills that he needs for life. But yeah, no, other than that, I'm trying to get back into the gym, trying to take better care of myself. And I think, yeah, the guests that we've got today are going to give us a reminder of that as well. But um, yeah, that, that's been my main focus over, over the last Powerful. week or so. Thank you, man. It's good to hear from you. So new research shows that black people are less likely to be aware of a range of potential cancer symptoms than the general public. You know, 70-70% of black respondents knew that blood in their urine could be a sign of cancer compared to 86% of the general public. And only 65% were aware that diarrhea for three weeks or more could be a sign. And that's a really low compared to 73% of the general public. So a new campaign has been launched by the NHS called Help Us Help You, which has set out to change our awareness and uh, of symptoms and cancers and abdominal area, urological cancers and lung cancer, and highlight that the NHS is open and ready to treat people. So we're joined by two incredible guests today. We have a consultant of urological surgeon, Professor Frank Chinewundo. And so we have Errol uh, with us today, who is close personal friends with the Queen. How, how is she? Is she well? <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we actually saw her through the window. But it was Princess Princess Anne that, that gave me the MBE. So, oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, is, great honour. Is Anne the uh, one that doesn't like the, like the rules and the boundaries? Or is that, that's her daughter, right, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the chosen, one of the chosen few. <laughs> how was the ceremony? <laughs> so you received your MBE. How was that for you? Absolutely fantastic. It, you know, great moment for me. I, I dedicated the honour to, to my family, to people like yourselves who have supported the campaign people going through the struggles of prostate cancer and, and unfortunately the ones that we've lost through it. Yeah, really powerful. Professor Frank, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about this Help Us Help You campaign and what it entails? Yes, the uh, Help Us Help You campaign is really, it's an NHS initiative to get people with symptoms that could be due to cancer to come forward. So during the COVID-19 pandemic, many people sat on various symptoms because either they were scared to come to the hospital or it was difficult to get access to services because of the COVID. And what the NHS is saying is that we are still open, still open for business, 
So if you have symptoms such as, you know, blood and urine or a change in bowel habit, then you should go and see your, your GP and get referred into the specialist services. So the NHS is open for business. Fantastic. Uh, so Errol, could you tell us a little bit more about your experience? And it's, it's kind of an area, and I think, you know, we were talking about it in our group last week, and, and we, we kind of feel like some of the old legacy understanding of prostate cancer, and I think there was always this stigma around how historically men would be checked for it, and, you know, what the experience actually is. And so there'll be this almost like, hiding from it because nobody wants to you know have their prostate interfered with could you tell us a little bit about your story it would be really good for us to understand the yeah um well my, my story and my journey with prostate cancer started at the end of 2010 my wife sharon was complaining about my snoring and before we go any further snoring has got nothing to do with prostate cancer but the reason why I tell you, and Professor Frank will allude to this, that nine times out of 10, we tend to find out purely by accident about being diagnosed with prostate cancer. You know, went to the doctor because she made the appointment, picked up a leaflet in the reception, and my decision was to go and make an appointment to come back and do this PSA test. Got to the reception. Uh, the receptionist said, Mr. McKellar, you don't need to make an appointment it's a simple blood test and it takes less than 10 minutes. Uh, little did I realize that was going to change the rest of my life. Did that blood test. Uh, a week after that, I got called back to do another one. Almost immediately after that second blood test, I was called in to do a biopsy and that was immediately followed by a scan. And then a week after that, they called us back in, sat me and my wife down and said, Mr. McKellar, your, your prostate is covered in cancer. Well, I got up and I walked out of the room because I didn't really, I think the conversation had gone right over my head. Went sat in the car and I think the word cancer then hit me. You know, I just burst into tears. I was just uncontrollable, not sure what I was going to do next. And I remember the wife coming into the car, sitting in the car with me and she looked at me and she said, look, you know, I've never, in all the years I've been with you, I've never seen you quit on anything that you've ever done. So I had to kind of like man up and stop crying and, and look at her and think, is she having a go at me or is this her way of motivating me to do something about it? So I took the latter, that's what she was doing. Yeah, could, could, you, could you speak to, just to dig into the idea that, you know, in other parts of your life, you, you are, are very driven and you wouldn't, you take on all challenges. What was the difference when it came to, actually yourself have you ever found the language as to what that difference was i think in in, in my life right the things that i've dealt with always had a direct physical approach you know i did i did um 10 years of door security work at clubs and things like that so you know your experience would be quite vivid on that i'm also a part-time football coach so again there's a lot more physical side to that as well as the mental sides of it but this particular situation, right, it just left me speechless and unable to think about how I was going to address it at the time. I think the impact of the word cancer really did have a big effect, you know, because it frightened me. It really, really frightened me. And, you know, I don't remember experiencing fear like that. You know, the last time I did experience that kind of fear was when I lost my mum. And that was the year before that. So that that's how I sum it up. And, and just Professor, Professor Frank, and maybe also Errol, you could jump in on this as well. Is is there something that in 
in men is specific to black men where there's a blind spot about how we take care of ourselves when we're here versus when we don't take care of ourselves and then we understand that there could be a consequence is there is there something there that we're just not seeing because we could do the a lot of this stuff could happen in advance <laughs> yes i think i think it's a it's a man thing in general i, I don't think it's specific to uh black men but the reason why it's it's you know, in terms of prostate cancer, it's more important that we're focusing on black men is, is because black men are at twice the risk of getting prostate cancer. But as a generality, men do not look after themselves as well, and they find it more difficult to go to the doctors. I think one of the things about it's about about women is that from an early age, they they go to the doctors. You know, they go for the smear test. They go perhaps they want to go onto the pill. Women go because they're taking their children. to to the doctors, so it's not such a foreboding thing. Whereas, whereas men only tend to access the doctors in the extremis. That's incredible. Um, and then, so how prevalent are cancers in the abdominal area and the urological cancers? How 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 common are they in the in the world? You know, is it is it a small percentage of people? Is that a, is it the most dominant cancer that's for men? Like, what, what what's the? Do you know any of the insights? Well, I mean, forty four percent of male cancers are either abdominal or urological so it's a major problem by abdominal we mean we mean the, the bowel or we mean the bladder or, or the kidneys and in terms of urology but specifically prostate cancer in fact prostate cancer is the most common cancer in men in the uk it's, it's about fifty thousand men a year will develop prostate cancer and the figures are that one man every 45 minutes in the uk dies from prostate cancer now, if we look worldwide, prostate cancer is the second commonest cancer in, in, in men. So it's a, it's a major problem worldwide, but it's particularly a problem in black men because they're twice as likely to get prostate cancer. And not only that, they tend to be younger, on average five years younger, when they develop their prostate cancer than white men. Is there a causality for that? Why specifically black men lower? Are we just not paying attention? Are we not... You know, are we working harder? Are we more unhealthy? I assume it's not something just biological. Yes, we don't know the answer to that question. You know, that is a subject of much research around around the world. So we don't know the answer why it's, why it's twice as common in black men. But it's, it's black men all over the world. So it's black men in West Africa, the, the Caribbean, the States, the UK. And if you trace it back to the transatlantic slave trade route and you look at where these men were, were, were taken from West Africa and where they ended up in the Americas, the UK and so on, that's where you, have, you find very high rates of prostate cancer. So it's something about the, the African diaspora. Uh, what it is, we don't understand this yet. I think there'll be some genetic influence behind that. But there are other factors come into play in terms of developing prostate cancer, such as uh, obesity is, is one of the risk factors for, for prostate cancer. So as far as we know, it, it's nothing that men can do something about. It's not that there's something you can do to prevent yourself from, from getting prostate cancer. It's just more cancer. likely someone needs to be in tune. Yeah, that's right. Um, Ma- Ma- Marvin, you're, you're, a, you're a black man, right? Is yeah, that correct? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, is you... How, how what, what's your understanding and what was your education level before we started having this conversation? I think before we were having this conversation, I think you see the, the jokes and the anecdotes in you know TV shows, 
cartoons, movies, and it's always that kind of subject that you'll see someone of maybe slightly more mature age and there's that, you know, even before I knew what it was, you'll hear about, you know, you've got to go to the, the doctors and have your prostate examined. And it was always like a tongue-in-cheek joke made. And so for me, I always saw it as something that only affected the older generation. But thankfully, I kind of had the baptism of um, fire in a sense where working at, at my organisation, Suffolk Council, we had a community day where we had different organisations come in and deliver talks to the organisation. So we, they were based in the, um, in the foyer of the building. And so we actually had Errol come in. This was back in 2019. And mm. so he had a table and he was literally stood at the entranceway of the building. And as people were walking in, they had to walk past him. And so, <laughs> so charismatic, um, such, such a likable character. Um, you know, I came down to help set up and I was stood there for the whole day. And, and what, what, yeah. what was amazing was a lot of other men, I don't know if, ever, if you remember, they were coming in the building. They saw the poster. Yes. They knew they had been affected or they knew someone that was affected. And they gave up their day to stand and petition to other men to come over, especially younger men. And, and have the conversation. And I think before that, you know, I hadn't considered it because I thought I'm too young, you know, it's not going to affect me. It, it's it's not something I need to worry about for now. But having spoken to Errol, he said, you know, there's no harm going to your GP and asking your GP, um, you know, to do to do either the digital exam or to have a PSA test if you feel that as a, as a, as a young black man, you could be at higher risk. And so even that I felt empowered. And Errol, obviously, I haven't spoken to you since, but I went to my GP and, and I made the request and I had the test as well because it's just one of those things you just want to give yourself that peace of mind and and that's what we can all do. We can all do something to kind of, you know, make sure we're okay. But yeah, so for me, before that, I won't lie, I was ignorant of it. But having spoken to Errol and, and had that conversation, I felt empowered. And I've, and I've shared the message with my friends as well and told them to go and do the same. I need to follow up. This is a reminder to follow up on them and see if they have done it. But I think, yeah, we do need to take our help. How does that make you feel, Errol? That, like, to feel the impact of your of your presence on other men's life like that? You know, I, I, I'm very honoured. Every, every time I hear this conversation... It tells you the work that people like Professor Frank and myself and all of you guys are doing. We're making a stand, you know, because the, the you know people don't understand that it's not just the physical issue of being diagnosed with prostate cancer. It's also the mental issue of of how it attacks you. And you know, look, the work that's gone into the research and to diagnose prostate cancer now is a lot better than what it was 10 years ago. And, you know, Professor Frank will tell you the rectal examination, which is what nine out of 10 men have an issue with, is not the be-all of this conversation. You know, the first thing is to have a blood test, right? They now have some fantastic work going on with the new MRI scan, you know, but we need to be involved in the research, you know, and I'm proud of Marvin because... When you talk to somebody as young as Marvin is, and I'm not going to give up his age here, <laughs> so it's important that we start to understand this from a younger age. You know, I mean, I'm talking to youngsters, you know, 14, 15, 16, who don't even know where their prostate is. So for me, that's a worry. And we really have to get this education into schools so that men are more aware going forward to understand, have a better understanding of the issues with prostate cancer. And the more talking we do, the more important it will become in bringing this one in four number down. Yeah. Errol, how did your friends and, 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 and other men in your life react to this? What, what was their response? Well, first of all, right, a lot of them were very shocked because like most men, I would probably have hidden this issue. 
right? Um, because of where it is. But I am glad that I didn't do that because by sharing my conversation and experience with them, they have been a massive help. You know, it, it it's it's going to take all of us to make a difference. There's only Errol McKellar and Frank Chinigwanda, but there's a hundred million people out there who can help us to make this difference. And what we're asking is from men and particularly black men, right? Let's get involved in the research, in the studying so that we have a better understanding so that we can relate the right information you know, because the wrong information does more damage. And that's why we need to listen to people like Professor Frank and his team who are involved heavily on trying to change the attitude and the issue towards prostate cancer so that we've got a better understanding. You know, when we go for our MOT, as we call it, we go there with no fear. We go there knowing that you know, it's something that we need to really address on a regular basis. And Professor Frank, what would your advice be to, to black men? I think my advice to, to black men would be to uh, educate themselves and to be aware of their, of their prostate glands. My other advice would be to know, know your family history. Because if there's someone in your family that's had prostate cancer, for example, your father or brother or an uncle, your risk is increased. And also, if there's breast cancer or ovarian cancer on the female side of the family, again, that increases your risk of prostate cancer. So we need to talk to our families. We need to talk to our children. And I would say that as a black man, once you reach the age of 45, you should be going along to your GP and asking for the PSA blood test. Now, if you have a family history of prostate cancer, then you should probably be getting that PSA blood test from the age of 40. And there's this thing about the rectal examination that, that men dislike the idea of. What I say to men is that the, rect, the rectal examination, I mean, that is the only way we have of physically feeling the prostate gland. It's not like, like the breasts, which are external. You know, the prostate gland is, is, is hidden. And the only, way, the only way the doctor can feel it is by putting a finger into the back passage. However, most of the information that we would get in terms of that man's likelihood of prostate cancer comes from the blood test. The reason for the rectal examination is that at, at times the blood test is normal, but the man turns out to have prostate cancer. And it's by filling the prostate that you may be able to pick out those few men in which the blood test is, is, is not raised. So what I say to men is that it's not essential. It's not essential to have a rectal examination. At least get the blood test. That would be 90% informative. But if you want to be closer to 100%, then you would have the, the rectal examination as well as. So get yourself tested. And also, it's very important to, to be aware that you can have prostate cancer without any urinary symptoms or without any sexual symptoms. In fact, quite often, by the time you've got problems passing urine or going very frequently or getting up so many times at night or, or erection issues, if it's due to prostate cancer, it may already have become advanced. If you find prostate cancer early, the cure rate is like 98%. I mean, it's incredibly good cure rate. The treatments are really, really good, but you have to catch it early. And for me, as a, as a specialist of over 25 years dealing with prostate cancer, 
it's a, it's a tragedy when you see a man come along where the disease is already uh, advanced. And whilst you can manage it and keep it under control for a time, you're not going to be able to cure it. And so many of these men say, oh, I wish I'd known about this earlier. I wish I'd known about my prostate. I wish I'd known that I could have had it tested earlier when it would have been at a curable condition. Because there's no national screening program in the same way as there is for breast cancer or cervical cancer or colon cancer, because there is no screening program where men get invited to go in to, to have the test, it's for us to be aware about prostate cancer and it's for us as men to go along to our GPs and ask to have the blood test. No one's going to come and, and invite us as yet anyway. We have to go and ask for it. You can't ask for what you don't know about. Uh, Errol, I assume as the reason why you went into your car and was very emotional is because you started to be faced with your mortality. In, in, in this moment, can you speak to who you were before this moment versus after? Like, you know, what, 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 what was the actual change in your behavior, your mental approach when you realized that potentially your life could be cut short? Did you approach, did you renew yeah, your vows of yeah. your wife? You know, I'll I tell you something, <laughs> you Marvin, that's a great question. Um, you know, before I was diagnosed with prostate cancer, I don't think I had any fears of anything. You know, I, I always had this macho approach to things, you know, and, and, and always felt that, I was able to deal with whatever was in front of me, right? I could deal with it. But what prostate cancer and the word cancer done is made me look at the next page. You know, everything on the next page was different to what was on page one. You know, page one, I felt physically, mentally good within myself or my, that was my version of it. But I had to take stock because for the first time, I was not in control of what to do next, you know, and that's a difficult one. And I just wanted to pick up on what Professor Frank said. You know, we we realize, right, that this journey with prostate cancer, right, there's, there's two roads you can take, you know. When you have the early detection, right, and, and the odds are 98%, why would you not take that option, you know, when you think about, you know, and I'm a qualified mechanic. Professor Frank is a is the best urologist that you can come across, right? So, you know, anything medical, I will always refer to Professor Frank and his team, right? Because it's wrong to give medical advice if you're not qualified. But in mechanical terms, in the motor industry, the question I always ask everybody in this conversation, would you drive your car down the road with no brakes? It, it, the answer has to be no. So why would you walk around with nearly 100% cancer in your body and not do anything about it? Yeah. You know? Professor Frank, sorry, I, I was very present to the fact that when he called you the best neurologist in the world, you didn't even flinch. <laughs> most, people, most people would be like, who, me? No, no. The, 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 you were like, yes, yes, I am, yes. <laughs> I can't be falsely modest. You know? <laughs> Oh, I love yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. I, I just had a question. We call, we call Professor Frank uh, the new Denzel Washington. You know that, don't you? <laughs> I, I, I can see it. <laughs> Professor Frank, I had, I, had, I had a question that I wanted I to ask as well because 
I think one thing we know with those black dads is that not only do we have black fathers listening, but we have, you know, the women in their lives that love them. We have the daughters, we have the mothers, we have, you know, maybe even the grandmothers um, listening as well. And what kind of advice would you give to family members in broaching a conversation? Because sometimes, even for me, I know I'm not the first one to come across something, but maybe my sister or, or you know, a partner would put something in my face and, and, and kind of make the suggestion and then I'd follow it up later. And I'm sure everyone will be able to kind of relate with that as well, as you mentioned, with your wife kind of bringing uh, that subject. Yeah, yeah. Let me pick this one up then. Women particularly are the most important when it comes to this issue with prostate cancer because they are almost like a dog with a bone, right? They will not leave you. I mean, I preach the word nagging because that's what saved my life. They be, end up becoming your carers, your you know your wife, your family, because prostate cancer doesn't just affect you. It affects all those immediately close to you. Their support network is will, will be what you need to get through this issue, both both, both mentally and physically. Professor Franks alluded to it: conversations, talk to your nearest and dearest. You know what we men think we're going to go through, right? With biopsies and the journey with prostate cancer, women do this on a regular basis. Are you saying that women are better than men? I wouldn't disagree yes. with you. Yes. <laughs> Let's clear that point up here and now. Yes. Right. Anyone who needs any brownie points, that's done. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, for sure. Women are our voice. They are action pack. And I'll tell you why. When I had my garage, I used to offer people 20% discount if they got their prostates checked, right? Wow. More women took this up than men. They used to come in to check their oil, their water and their tires, right? So that they could get the 20% discount and badger their partners, brothers, dads, wow. uncles to get themselves tested. The men used to come in like a broke down vehicle on the back of the recovery truck. 48 guys walked into my garage that was diagnosed with prostate cancer. 28 were African Caribbean men. The two that died, one was 42 years of age. He died after 10 months. The other one was 36 years of age. Let me tell you the difference between those two and myself. The 42-year-old, right, was a very unlucky. You know, he came in, took the discount, went and got himself checked, unfortunately found he had prostate cancer in him. Like Professor Frank was saying, didn't even know he had any symptoms. And he passed away 10 months after that. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The 36-year-old, when he came in and I questioned him about it, what he said to me will stay with me for the rest of my life. He said, I can't go through that drama. My two brothers have had it. My dad has had it. My uncle has had it. And I had to ask him to repeat this conversation because he died six months after that. And I look at that, that he died through fear and ignorance. I had nearly, nearly 100% cancer in my prostate. 
and I was the lucky one. So I tell people, please believe in God because somebody out there has kept me here to do this. This is really powerful. Thank you so much to both of you for this. I have another question or another area that I would like to talk to you about. Very rarely do we get older black men on our podcast. So I'm over here like really excited and giddy. Because I, I spoke to, was talking to Marvin last week and I said, I feel like I'm creating my 50s right now. I'm 37 and I feel like I'm creating my 50s with how I interact with my children, how I interact with, you know, my wife, my friends, my family members. All of that is going to create the comfort, the safety, the financial security that I have in my 50s. If you look back to your mid to late 30s, what were you not present to in this area, but beyond just in life what were the lessons? And I think, you know, a lot of our dads are 27 to 44. That's the kind of main age of our group. And I feel like most of us are operating outside of experience or maybe not with the code of our fathers around or healthy men around to be able to ask, actually, what did you recognize in your 30s that ended up being real or not real in your 50s? Is there any advice you could give us? Yeah, let me let me take this before everyone else, right? I when I got diagnosed with prostate cancer, wasn't aware of the issues or the journeys to do with prostate cancer. And when I went to my dad and I said, dad, I've been diagnosed with prostate cancer. My dad turned to me and he said, yes, son, I had that five years earlier. I was so upset and so angry with him. I couldn't talk to him for six months. But when I started to do these talks around the country, I realize how common this is with the older age group and particularly with the black African Caribbean community. You know, more of that generation, right? They will use the terminology problem with the waterworks, complications, dry back, but never would they use the word prostate cancer because of where it is, you know? And that is something that has to change that attitude towards the word prostate and where it is. Because unless we, you know, start having these conversations, particularly in the family and with your closest friends, right? You don't know if the man sitting next to you is going through the same problem that you are going through. You know, and the one thing that this illness doesn't do, right, is you're never on your own, right? The amount of guys that you will be in the company of who are either going through prostate cancer, know somebody going through it, or have lost somebody from it, right, is a lot higher in numbers than we know. Uh, yes, I would uh, I would uh, echo everything that Errol has said. I think... I think in your in your thirties, as you said, you know, you're bringing up a, a family. You know, you're working, just get on with life. But I think one of the differences now is that you know, I, well, I feel like younger men in their thirties and forties are more open to conversations with their families. Also, I would hope that that would lead to better health behaviours, both from those men and from and from their children. So things like high blood pressure that are very prevalent in, in the black communities. I come across, I have come across several men who, instead of taking the blood pressure tablets, decide not to because they don't like taking tablets or they don't like some of the, the side effects of the tablets. And then the next thing you see is that they've had a stroke or they've had a heart attack. 
completely avoidable. People not, not watching their weight, for example. And again, diabetes is, is quite prevalent um, in, the, in the black community. So I think there's something um, about younger men like yourselves improving the health behaviours and modelling that for their children. So there's some of the not so good behaviours that perhaps your fathers or, or grandfathers exhibited won't be, won't be passed down and down. That's really powerful. Marvin, do you think there's anything else that us as men we need to, to know or to find out about the existence of being an older black man? I'm also always really curious from both of you, just like what your experience was, because obviously you were our ages, I'm, I'm going to guess now, 15, 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you so, noticed you got Frank to smiling. <laughs> hey, I told you. That's the second one today. I think, yeah. So I think... Um, yeah, I, I feel like there's um, there's some sort of code about being uh, of our age in the in the 80s and 90s versus today, and and what that experience was, and I think just in broader life as well, I think there's a bit of not knowing because that many of this, like, and I'm I'm being very authentic here. I feel like the age between your children and myself isn't that great, and so you know, men of our age who had dads or didn't have a, a active parents, uh, active fathers in the picture, would want to know what was the 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 context of your being at that time what was you going through as black men in uk or wherever you were to be here today as you are because my aspiration now is to make it to 60 like i'm desperately like i want to make it and so you know i want to experience what it's like to be i don't my grandfather died at 58 he was the oldest black man in my family by miles. My uncle, as he just surpassed him, he's just turned 60. You know, that's the oldest black man in my family there has ever mm. been. That's a real, like, thing. So I would love to know what the code is. I think uh, that's a focal figure in, in in our lives. You know, I mean, look, the, the older generation were just as conscientious about health as you young'uns are. The difference is now is that you young'uns are more vocal, you know, I mean, you've got a massive media platform to promote looking good and feeling good. So there's a big importance. And, and, and for us, you know, the great thing is that, yes, you guys are talking about it, you know, and what we want to see happen is, you know, and, and it's a learning curve for us because when we grew up, right, we were always told, seeing blind, hearing deaf. So you, you had manners that you were never allowed to go out of that jurisdiction. And you weren't allowed to ask your elders certain questions, you know. And when, unless they brought that conversation to you, you were never privy to that conversation. Mm, really powerful. Any views, Professor Frank? Yes, there was a lot of, uh, when I was growing up in the, 80s, there was, a, a, there was a lot of kind of secrecy about what was wrong with people. All of a sudden, you'd, you'd hear that some aunt had passed away, and you'd say, what, you know, what for? What from? I don't know. No one knows. So that knowledge and information as to what you might do to, uh, to avoid whatever it was that had befallen them, that, that wasn't passed on. So a lot of secrecy, even to the extent that, you know, as I was saying, certain things you can't ask, like, what do you do for a living? I never knew what 95% of my, you know, extended family, family, friends, parents. I never knew what they did for a living. You weren't allowed to ask what people did for a living. And so how can you pass on that kind of knowledge and information as to how to conduct yourself in a workplace when you don't even know what it is you know, people are doing? 
I mean, I was I was blessed and very fortunate to have my dad uh, very present uh, until until sadly, you know, COVID took him last year at the age of ninety two. So I had the tremendous benefits and life advantage of having someone there for so many years, you know, of my life. So I was very fortunate. And my dad had my dad had had prostate cancer, and told us about it. And we went through his treatments and spoke to his urologist about it. And so it wasn't a secret. It wasn't it, it wasn't hidden. I, I just have a quick question for you, Professor Frank, about what you do. And and I, I was asked this, or someone asked me about what because I'm I was an advertising strategist historically. And someone asked me like, what actually makes you really good at what you do? And I think there's a foundational element of just, you know, what the skill is, the discipline, and you get better at it and you practice at it. But then I think there's something unique about potentially coming from the black experience and how you see the world that you then funnel into the actual formal learning. And I think for anyone listening, that's like, oh, there's a neurologist on the... Like, to know that that's possible, to know what it is, how much of the black experience, whatever the black experience is, by the way, because it's not a monolithic experience, does that play into how good you are at what you do, if at all? Yes, I, th- I, think, it's, I think it's very uh, important to me because I was born and brought up in, 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 in South London and school there. I had two kind of parallel, parallel existences. There was a Nigerian heritage experience with all the family friends and and weddings and parties and aunts and uncles that took a great interest in, in what they were doing. And I had the kind of, the kind of more traditional English school experience. So from a very early age, from primary school, I was comfortable in mixing with both worlds, which meant that later on in, in life, when I went to medical school and beyond, I was equally at home in whatever company I would, I would, I would find myself in. And I was able to relate to all the sectors of the community, whether it's, whether it's white or black. And that's, that's in distinction to many of my friends at medical school who've only been brought up in kind of white environments or white societies and, and, and white living, who, would, who found it more difficult to relate to black people or Asian people because that wasn't their experience, you know, growing up, you know, in the shires. So I've, I've always felt myself fortunate to be able to relate to every segment of the uh, of the society, you know, whether it's Princess Anne, uh, who, who, I, who I've met, personal friends. And, and the Queen and, and uh, uh, Prince Charles, who gave me my MB uh, some years ago, or 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 being on the streets, uh, you know, talking to people in, in Brixton like like I was at the weekend, you know. So you know. I've been fortunate from a young age to be exposed to the whole strata of society. And I think that makes you better at, at your job because one of the things about being a doctor, uh, being, being a surgeon in, in my particular instance, is that you've got to be able to relate to people. You've got to be able to understand them and they understand you and communicate whatever it is you're trying to say in a way that they can take on board and adhere to your uh, advice. So those people skills, I, I think, are really very important and have held me in, in good stead throughout, throughout my career. Errol, what's, what's your contribution? How, how does it contribute to what you've done historically, but also to what you do now in terms of engaging men? Is right. Something Let me just add, to do? Professor Frank, 
There's a lot more to Professor Frank, right? You've, he's only gave you the first page. Trust me, there's a whole no, no, book. I'm, I'm peeling layers. Are you going to see my, my onion <laughs> yeah. technique? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, you know, having somebody like Professor Frank that you can go to for, for what I call 100% advice and constructive conversation is very important and particularly in the African Caribbean community. And, and I'm going to tell you why, right? Because, and I've told Professor Frank this story. I did a talk in a school and the, the teacher said to me, yeah, talk, you know, talk to the youngsters about the prostate cancer, right? They were only six years of age. And I thought it was a bit early, but she was insistent on me having this conversation. So, uh, you know, I, I discussed the prostate uh, and where it is and, you know, just, you know, I spent sort of 20 minutes giving them a conversation about it. And at the end of the conversation, a little boy came up to me uh, and I looked around and, you know, and he said, please, sir, when I grow up, I'm going to fix that prostate. He couldn't say the word properly, right? <laughs> but I knew where he was coming from, you know, and then three years later, right, he used to go past my my garage, right, with his mum. And his mum came over and she said to me, you know what, I just want to thank you because my son, he reads every morning and he reads every night, you know. And I went over to him and I, and I said, you know what, son, I'm really proud of you because, you know, mummy says that you read every morning and you read every night. Now, this boy is 10 years of age now. And he looked at me and he said, yes, sir because when I grow up, I'm going to fix that prostate, right? Now, Frank will tell you, right, because I compare this young man to a young Frank, because we had this conversation, Frank and myself, and about 10 years of age, Frank's fascination, right, and he will tell you he spent a lot of his time, when it wasn't sport, watching casualties, and probably, well, Holby City wasn't there then. So Casualty was one of his main programs. So he had this passion to be the best at what he could do, right, from an early age. And I think we should applaud him for that because to have somebody of his caliber, you know, and for me personally, right, he is the trustee for the Earl McKellar Foundation, right? So we've gone to the very top in football terms, He's either Manchester United or Liverpool or Chelsea or if he's if he's like me and he's sensible he, he could be Tottenham. <laughs> <laughs> Never. Errol, Errol, he just ruined it. Never. Ruined I left it. out the Arsenal. <laughs> you can tell. Yeah, because I know this Frank's got allegiance here somewhere. No, but you know, thanks to Professor he's Frank, delighted. right? Right. What we're trying to do at the Earl McKellar Foundation is to bring out a mobile PSA testing vehicle. And this is based on the knowledge and information that Professor Frank is giving and helping us to create, right? Because we feel that if men aren't going to get themselves tested, we will bring the test to them. That's fantastic. 
Oh, that's an incredible way to end. You also yeah. mentioned Tottenham, so I think this must be over. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Marvin, Professor Frank and Errol, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Hopefully you all go to Pastures New and Better Football Teams uh, <laughs> if we can make it happen. Um, I, I feel like this is an incredible, uh, important subject. And I also just feel like, you know, people tend to say that men are less likely to talk about their health concerns or visit their GP if they're feeling unwell. I know that I'm guilty of this and I really want to be part of the solution. So, we, you know, for us dope black dads, we're always trying to change the narrative and start having transparent conversations about our health because we want us all to be here, not just for our families, but quite self-interestedly for ourselves. We always talk about like, you know, we're doing stuff for our families and our wives and our kids, but what about us? We, you know, the stuff that we want to do, many of us, you know, someone said to me the other day, Marvin, you're 37. You could quite credibly have 50 years left of your life. Like, what are you going to do? And it really changed it on its head because I never thought about life at that age. I kind of feel like, you get to 50, you start winding down. And it's like, that's an absurd way to kind of think of things. So I really want to, like, re-energize that conversation in all of us. And, then, you know, today we've learned that, you know, cancers in the abdominal area and urological cancers account for almost 44% of cancer diagnosis in England. It's a huge amount. And it's something we've really got to be uh, aware of. And the symptoms are really important. So I hope you really internalize all of those symptoms. And early diagnosis is absolutely key. And this makes it much more treatable and it really can save lives. So if you experience any symptoms that we've spoken about today, I encourage you to contact your GP. And also to find out more about prostate cancer, visit the website at prostatecanceruk.org forward slash risk checker but just prostatecanceruk.org and for more information please make sure you go and check out the prostate cancer uk's risk tool which will help you learn more about the risk level and appropriate actions to take team family thank you so much i appreciate you i love you we shared space i definitely would like to do this again maybe we need to make this an annual conversation just to really drive the conversation home because we keep growing we keep growing we're in more territories that every time there's more people uh, so we should definitely have this conversation again i just want to thank you for your time today thank you it's a pleasure pleasure absolutely and so thank you guys for listening i really much appreciate it we'll be back next week with another episode uh you can find us at uh at dope black dads on all social media platforms you can also email me for a chat at hello at dope thank you so much for listening my brothers i appreciate you all uh, we'll be back next week <laughs>